Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. Well, I appreciate that exhortation. You know, we need to think about ourselves the way the Bible thinks about us. That body metaphor where you've got all these different parts and, and uh, you know, you think about having missing parts to the body. I know my grandmother was a member of this church, and as her years went on and she started to have a lot of health problems, she ended up having limbs amputated from her body. And it was a very difficult thing to watch. My grandmother, in many respects, in terms of her physical body, she was buried over the course of about five years. You ever think about that? She lost part of one leg, then she lost part of another, and then they took a little more and she's slowly dying away. But as she lost a part of her body, there were certain things from that point forward she was not going to be able to do anymore, right? So if you have a missing body part, no matter how trivial you may think that part is, there's going to be some functionality of your life that's going to be either greatly encumbered or perhaps completely removed altogether. There was a time when she lost both legs, she was never going to walk again. She lost one, you might make the case, well, she could kind of hobble around with some crutches or something, but it would be greatly impaired, would it not? So the, each of these parts having their own function means that being a part of the body and being there and being active is incredibly important to the health of the body, and I appreciate that. But there's, there's also you know, a secondary thing of this. I was talking with Brother Thomas before church today. He was talking about, I'm still having trouble with my right hand. You know, It's just not, it's not quite doing like I want. I can't sign things the way I want to, working on that, you know. So even if you have a part that's still there, but it's not functioning as it ought, that causes an impediment. It creates some difficulties for you there. So I think those two admonitions point out the need of God's people to be there and to be involved. You've got a gift. You've got something you're bringing to the church. I think it's common for God's people to look maybe at the pastor and think, well, that's the that's the thing that's going on at church. He's, a, he's been called of God to get up there and speak, and that's a, that's a big visible thing. But the health of the church involves a lot of invisible workings that are not clearly seen by the naked eye, right? I'm up here talking to you all, and this is a very public sort of thing. But if you think about a body... That's really making reference to the voice or to the mind and its ability to speak. But my heart is up here beating too, but you don't see that, do you? I can feel it in my chest, I hope. I mean, I can feel it pounding a little bit, but you don't see that part working right now. It's kind of invisible to you. But all this stuff that you see me doing in terms of my speech, none of that would take place if my heart was not in there beating and keeping me alive, right? And in the church, the church body is very much the same way. There are aspects of the body that are very visible and that people see, but there's also other things that are kind of behind the scenes, but they are absolutely essential if the body is going to work properly. And some of those things are the things that you all are called to do and the way that you're called to participate in the kingdom of God. And I think it's a very needful reminder. So I appreciate that from Brother Randy. And I'm glad that the Lord set it upon his heart. I think it's a needful reminder for us as a church. I wanted to continue on here today. Last week I spoke on uh, long-suffering, and today I'm going to speak on patience. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time 
trying to tease out the difference between the two. Perhaps there is some difference. I don't really see any difference between long-suffering and patience. Some others might take that cause up and try to very finely parse the distinction between the two. I don't really think there is one, though. And if there is, I suspect that our value in looking at this topic has less to do with that very fine distinction and more to do with the very coarse reality that most people are short on patience. The Bible teaches that you're given patience as a fruit of the Spirit and you're called upon to exercise it as part of your Christian discipleship. So that's really what I want to continue to look at today. A few weeks ago, I made reference to Psalm 37, and I referred to that as the hard shall psalm, because it's 35 shalls in that psalm. So if a hard shall people are going to latch on to any psalm, we ought to latch on to that one. And as I was revisiting that this week in my readings, I realized there's a There's a verse in the middle of that, verse 7, which says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him who prospereth in his way because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Now there's a sense in which God's people sometimes feel like the wicked are the ones that are getting ahead and we're getting the short end of the deal, right? You got the short end of the chicken and they got the golden goose is kind of how you feel about it a lot of times. And that's, I think that's a common carnal reaction that we have to looking at this world. But this verse is teaching us to rest in the Lord. I believe that designs, we know what the Lord has done. We know what Jesus Christ has accomplished. We have hope and surety in that. Know that. Rest in that. Uh, That's all our hope. And wait patiently for Him. That means that as temporal affairs work out in your life, they're not always going to work according to your timetable. You're going to have to wait on the Lord for His provision in temporal things. You do that knowing and being certain of eternity and what Christ has done and knowing that the Lord loves you and that He cares for you and all those things. But just as a natural parent does not always give a child precisely what they want when they want it, God does not do that either. And in fact, if you, if you look in parenting, um, you'll find that if a parent kind of sets the bar at uh, any time a child asks me for something, I'm going to give it to them immediately. What is that going to lead to in terms of fostering patience and character in the child? I think any of us would recognize that if that's your rule for raising children, you're going to raise a monster. You're going to raise a child that has no sense of anything other than the world revolves around me, and the moment it doesn't, I'm going to throw an apoplectic fit. You see it, if you go to Walmart, spend more than an hour a week in Walmart, you're going to run into this occasion from time to time of some child that's not getting what they want and has apparently not been instructed that that's not how the world works and they go absolutely mental on the situation. Um, And that's a bad way to be. If If we've been good parents, we've recognized that we have to exercise restraint Uh, in what we give to our own children. And likewise, God exercises restraint in what He provides for us in His providence. Um, So, we're to wait patiently on Him. 
Another psalm that came to mind is uh, just a couple pages over, maybe one page over. <coughs> psalm 40 starts with this. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. I think what's uh, buried in that is that David was crying unto the Lord in such a way that required him to wait to see God's response in the matter. Uh, If David just uh, cried unto the Lord, and the Lord inclined unto him immediately and fixed his problems, I submit that he would not have to say, I waited patiently for the Lord, right? This indicates that there's a displacement in time between what you want or some resolution you're looking for in your life and God's ultimate provision for you. And I believe it is faith that is the gap filler of that time. You have to exist in this time when you haven't been delivered and you're crying out to the Lord. You have to live that and navigate that gap by faith. So patience is going to be very important as we do that. I want to look at Romans chapter 5 as we kind of dig into this idea of patience a little more. I've told this story a bunch of times, and, and it's, it's an old trope, I guess, among preachers, but um, it comes to mind every time I read this passage. Um, a fellow goes to a minister and says, you know, I, I, just need, I just need patience. I want you to pray for me that I'll acquire patience. And so the pastor says, all right, well, you got to get out on your knees in the pastor's office, and the pastor starts off with, Lord, I want you to bring some tribulation into this brother's life. I want you to bring suffering, difficulty, pain, anguish, sorrow. And this brother's on his knees next to the pastor. He kind of turns to him and says, wait a a minute now. I said I wanted you to pray that I'd have patience. And the pastor says, tribulation worketh patience. You see, you don't get it. It's not a freebie. Now, it's true that you're given the capacity of patience as a fruit of the Spirit. But there's a distinction between having the capacity to do something and actually exercising that capacity. How many of you made some kind of a New Year's resolution about, well, I need to get up and move a little more. I'm going to try to walk a mile a day or I'm going to have to go to the gym four times a week or something like that. That's pretty common. And I suspect from just viewing you that you all have the capacity to do that. However... If you look across all the people who made such a promise to themselves over the course of uh, the New Year's season, and then looked at their performance with respect to that standard, you would find there's a distinction between possessing the capacity of going for a mile walk every day and actually exercising that capacity to the profitability of your own personal health. Spiritual matters work precisely the same way. We have the capacity of faith. Because it is a fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit. But the thing we must keep in mind is, are we exercising the capacity we're given? And beyond that, are we actually fostering and improving our capacity for exercising the patience we've been given? Very convicting thought, uh, but this principle of how we acquire patience is kind of set before us here. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's that confidence piece, right? That's the basis of kind of everything that we build on top of in terms of our lives and our discipleship, right? We know this. We know we're secure in Christ. We're justified 
Uh, it's talking about justification by faith. That means your knowledge of what Christ has done. It doesn't mean your faith is somehow making it happen. It just means Jesus made it happen. And the fact that you believe it makes it a reality in your personal experience, right? This is the old Wiley e. Coyote example. Believing something doesn't make it so. Wiley e. Coyote runs off the road and he's standing out in the middle of the space and he doesn't fall until he realizes that there's no ground underneath him. Well, that's funny because we know the world doesn't work that way, right? The moment you go off the road and you're in the middle of space, you're going down. Because what you believe about where you're standing has no bearing on whether or not gravity is going to pull you down to the bottom of that pit, right? So it's the same way with faith. Faith, believing that God has done this thing for you, does not make it so that God has done that thing for you. It merely affirms the reality, the pre-existing reality of what Christ has done. That's why I've often said, by the way, that the distinction, one of the distinctions between what the Old Baptist Church believes, what I think believe the Bible teaches, and what many in Christendom believe, revolves around the idea of what did Jesus Christ accomplish, Right? Is it a possibility or an actuality? That's really, that's the, that, if you can resolve that matter, if you can resolve that matter, you've actually got the gospel to go out and teach people. The gospel de- declares the justification of God's people. It doesn't extend a conditional offer of justification of, God, of anybody, provided you will do something with that, right? So, um, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, we have access by faith. That means by faith you know that these things are so, because therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It's your faith that actually receives this truth and can believe it. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing... Well, let let me stop on that one first. Well, do we do that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm following along. I'm, I'm totally tracking with Paul for the first couple of statements that were made there. And then he says, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. I'm not sure I glory in tribulations the way Paul's talking about here. But Paul's point is that that's how we ought to think about it based on what we understand of what Christ has done for us. We're only in this world here for a season. We're not going to be here forever. We're going to be with the Lord in eternity forever. And that's, we ought to view our temporal circumstances through the lens of eternity and not the other way around. And when we do that, I think to the extent that we do that, we begin to be able to glory in our tribulations. And He has a reason that we would glory, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. That is the principle that's in play that I was telling you about when you're talking about raising children. You see, a child who wants something... And you say, no, no cookies until after dinner, until you've eaten your green beans and your Brussels sprouts, you can't have the cookies. Now, that may seem trivial to us, but in the mind of a child, that is a minor tribulation, is it not? I want what I want now. I want to eat the good thing now. And maybe... If I can eat that and get full on it, I won't even have to eat the Brussels sprouts, right? That's the way they think. And you th- and y'all are all smiling. Y'all are like, oh, I know. I, I've had a, you know, uh, I've seen that before with, with children. And, and that, that's kind of funny. But 
it's really, it's how we act. It's how we behave in our own lives. It's that the Bible refers to us as little children over and over again, right? And there's a lot of lessons you can learn from how children kind of immaturely react in situations like involving cookies and, and vegetables that apply directly to how adults act in, in uh, various affairs in their own lives. Tribulation worketh patience. So as you um, create this tribulation in a child's life, the, the tribulation of you can't have that cookie for another hour and you got to show me that you ate the Brussels sprouts and the green beans before you get it. You are fostering and building in them a sense of patience. Like and you're teaching that there's an order to things that, you know, it's fine to have the blessings of the cookies, but it's not the first thing, and I'm going to have to wait a little bit for it. You see, these minor lessons that you teach uh, can have major impacts later in your life. Adults need to be thinking along those same lines. There's many adults who wake up, and it's probably not, it's not cookies or that sort of thing. It's, it, it tends to be more like, uh, I want to have my best life now, right? I'm of a certain age, and I feel like I am supposed to have a certain lifestyle and I'm willing to pursue that lifestyle in spite of the fact that I don't have the money to actually be able to legitimately afford that lifestyle, right? So lots of people uh, get into this situation where they're just completely, you know, in hock. They've borrowed all this money to try to have a certain lifestyle because they want it now. They want the cookies now, right? When it would have been better to say, I need to spend some time, maybe save up some money, maybe think about whether or not this thing is even needful or good for me anyway, and be patient about the matter and uh, be wise about it. But uh, we often deal with some of those things, financial things, we often deal with them as though we are a child wanting cookies. So tribulation work with patience. This is one of the main reasons that I believe, generally speaking, older people are more patient than younger people. It's not going to be true in every instance, but for the most part, older people have gone through a lot more stuff in life, and it has built in them a greater capacity to exercise the patience they've been given. Because they realize you just can't demand that things be fixed immediately. They're going to take some time. And you kind of get your sea legs with respect to things as you encounter various things in life. <clears throat> patience and patience experience and experience hope. So, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. So, you can see how this relationship between fostering patience, it ultimately leads to a state of being hopeful. I know you can look back over the course of your life and you can say, I know there were times when I needed deliverance and I waited on the Lord and the Lord eventually delivered me. And that helped me affirm that my patience was not uh, misplaced and my hope was not misplaced and I can trust the Lord. And, and you kind of get your sea legs on that and you're able to see that in a present circumstance a little more clearly than you other, otherwise would. But look at this example of patience. Because I don't want this to be lost. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Now, wait a minute. How many times have you been patient with respect to maybe someone else's behavior, but it's of the form that, well, I was kind of mad at them, and 
Then they came and apologized, and then, and then I was okay with it. You see that? That's the typical scenario that we kind of all work under. But this is not the scenario that the Lord Jesus Christ worked under. Had He been waiting for any of us to apologize for our ungodliness, He would have been waiting an eternity. And I would tell you that the Bible would then be teaching the universal damnation of fallen humanity. You see, God's initiative is not based on your perspective on the matter or some personal reform that you've had to enter into because when we were yet without strength. Now, sometimes we speak, of, well, I just, I just don't have my strength. You know, I don't feel like getting out and mowing the lawn today. But usually in those instances, we're talking about some preference. We're talking about, ah, I just don't really want to mow the lawn today. You know, I'm tired. I worked a lot yesterday. I'm just not going to do it today. I kind of had a day like that yesterday. I had a rough week. And I, had, I got up thinking there were things I wanted to do around the house. And then I ended up didn't do any of them just because I was tired and I didn't want to do it. And I might say, well, I was without strength to do that. Well, that's not really true. That's just me trying to cover my tracks for not being more productive yesterday than I was. Without strength here in this example designs like you're completely dead. You're just lying there. You have no strength. Even, the, even sick people who have to get up and take their medicine or get up and fix themselves a little bit of something to eat, they feel terrible. They might say, I'm without strength, but they still have some strength. Don't they? I mean, they got enough strength to get up and fix some uh, chicken soup. They got enough strength to take their medicine. They got enough strength to work the uh, remote control on the TV while they're lying there in bed. There's still some strength there. But this is talking about a situation where you are utterly without strength you're lying there as a dead man you can't do anything and on top of that you're ungodly so any hope of exercising strength to fix or try to improve your ungodly state is not going to work because you are utterly without strength and in this condition in due time christ died for the ungodly now that's some patience right there the perfect and holy God of this universe was patient enough to long suffer and bear your ungodliness. And while you were still ungodly, unrepentant, unashamed of your ungodly state, he said, I'm going to go die for these people. That's a radical form of patience. And it models really how we ought to be towards one another, though we we probably rarely are, if ever. But that's how Christ viewed us. Imagine the long-suffering of God towards His people if He's going to die for the ungodly. It is this objection race, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. You see what Paul is saying there? He's like, look, there's not a whole lot of a person giving their life for another person going on in this world, period. Right? You just don't see that a lot. You don't see people on death row, uh, you know, people coming in and saying, I'll take his place. Right? You don't see that very often. Um, but he does admit, well, it, it could happen, right? If there was someone that, that someone really believed this person was uh, a member of some righteous cause or some important 
political movement or he, we can't lose this person to the cause because he's done so much good. I'd be willing to give my life for that. He's like, even if you could find an example of that for a good man, so-called good man, that doesn't compare to what Christ did. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? That's a totally different perspective on it. God's not looking at some, you know, requisite degree of righteousness or repentance or reform in his people as the basis for him then saying, oh, because of that, I will now die for you and pay for your sins. No, you were in a just a totally wrecked condition. That's why salvation is by covenant. God had chosen a people who were going to be in this condition, and the only way they're ever going to get saved is if God takes on the whole matter of salvation Himself. Period. End of story. So, that's really the ultimate example of patience, and it should be an inspiration for us. Turn over to uh, Romans chapter 15. We'll pick up another example here that Paul gives us. Now, this is talking more on the, the horizontal plane as we as we deal with one another, within the body, you know, how, how are we to react with one another? <coughs> Excuse me. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of him that reproached thee fell upon me. See, there were punishments that you deserved because you were ungodly. And Jesus said, put that on my account. I'll be paying the tab on that. This dead, ungodly person who is not deserving in any respect of my mercy, I'm going to be merciful for this person. And I'm doing it by covenant. I'm voluntarily choosing to save this person. And that's how it's going to work out. Our reproaches, the things that we should have received for our ungodliness, they fell upon Christ. And then it gives this example, which I've, I've used before. Um, it it's kind of justifies the importance of the Old Testament, even in the New Testament church. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, that's essentially saying the Old Testament, were written for our learning. Now, this is a New Testament book being spoken to a New Testament church in Rome. It's literally saying the Old Testament was written for the learning of the New Testament church. So those lessons that are there don't overlook the Old Testament. All those life narratives and things in there, uh, I know there's a lot of cultural circumstances that are different than the culture and society in some respects that we live in. But there are themes throughout that. And you will find examples in the lives of the Old Testament saints that closely mirror your own experiences in life. Um, and they're examples to us. So they're written for our learning and there's a purpose in it. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You see, sometimes um, if, you, if you think about that perfect, that first example in Romans 5 where Paul is talking about tribulation worketh patience, that seems to indicate that you've got to go through tribulations and that's the only possible way that you can learn to foster patience. 
It is a way, and it's a way that is often in play in our lives, but it's really not the only way. You can learn from reading examples in Scripture. You can, it's actually, I'll say this, in some respects it's a better way to learn. It's a a common fallacy among people to say uh, something along the lines of, well, uh, I might say, uh, being, uh, you know, overindulging in drugs or alcohol is, is wrong. And it's a sin, and it's something that should be avoided. So that's a statement. I think I can defend that from the Bible. But someone might come to that and say, well, have you ever had an alcohol problem? Have you ever struggled with addiction? Who are you to talk about such things if you don't even have any experience in the matter? Is that true? No. Do you have to, I mean, do, do we have to go out and... and uh, live in drunkenness, live in fornication, live in lying and deceitfulness and all this stuff to know that those things are wrong and they're going to visit all sorts of temporal consequences into your life? No, you don't have to do those things because the Word of God was written aforetime for your learning. You can learn those things without having to go out and experience them. And to the extent that we've learned them and we still go out and try to experience them, we're fools. Experience is often the instructor of a fool, and we don't have to go down that road. You can learn some things about patience just from seeing how God was faithful to others in the Old Testament. And it talks about that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. You see that? Patience and comfort of the Scriptures. It's as though comfort of the Scriptures, as you see these, that God's faithfulness in the lives of these Old Testament saints, you're able to see, you know, David's just someone that was written about in the Bible, but he's no more a saint than I am. God doesn't love David any more than he loves me. He loves all of his children in the way that he loves Christ, is what the Bible says. So when you see how God was faithful to David, it can strengthen your patience with respect to things, and you can uh, draw that into your own life as you believe it, receive it by faith. And then it says in verse 5, maybe we'll close here. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Jesus Christ. Now, being patient and of like mind, when you have a, an organization that is composed entirely of sinners, when you have such a sorry membership as that, you're going to need some patience. And if you're going to get along with one another... You're going to have to exercise some patience because we're going to rub each other the wrong way from time to time. And that patience is really going to help us keep things from heating up too much, right? It's very important. Um, by the way, we, we don't do ourselves any favors um, as we return to this metaphor that uh, Brother Randy put before us. We don't do ourselves any favors to, to, think, to, to create problems between one body part and another, Right? Um, it doesn't make much sense to take your arm and punch yourself in the knee until it hurts so bad you can't walk, right? And that's the way the body of Christ, when it's functioning improperly, is kind of like beating itself up, right? It's doing things that, uh, you know, cause damage to the body and cause the body not to function as it ought. But God has given us patience, and in verse 5 of chapter 15 It refers to God as the God of patience and consolation. And the grant here 
is that, the, that we would be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. We should recognize this thing about how we're all connected to each other. I'm thankful for the body that we have assembled here. Uh, I'm thankful for the patience that we have in this church. However, we can all work on patience. We can all be a little better at it. This is a difficult subject for me to preach on because I feel very convicted by it. I, I am not a naturally very patient person. I'm probably a naturally very impatient person. And that it causes trouble. It's caused a lot of trouble in my life, to be honest with you. I don't say that to be, you know, kind of joking about it. It, it really has caused a lot of trouble. Uh, and I suspect I'm no different than a lot of you. So I'm sure that some of you have naturally, uh, how did I say this before, less impatience than I have. I think everybody's impatient in some measure, by nature. I know you have patience as a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the degree to which we exercise it is probably varied. But it's difficult for me to preach on because it's convicting. But uh, one of the aspects of being a preacher is you don't get to, uh, you can't avoid those topics. The topics that, uh, where I'm stepping on my own toes, I've got to preach on those just like uh, all the ones where maybe I feel like I'm doing a little better with respect to them. So uh, I pray the Lord would give us patience. I'm thankful for the patience we have. If you're struggling with patience, Call out to God and wait on the Lord. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.